Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peach Tubes podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording after a Hawks back-to-back against Indiana and Brooklyn. And I have to say, Glenn. Glenn. Yes. <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Uh two very different games and somehow both equally painful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, two, I, I think of them as two missed opportunities of a very different, um, has brought them to the missed opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, so I sometimes think people like fans around the league who aren't Pacers fans thinks, think the Pacers are like a bottom five team and they're not, um, they, sure. They're a weird. They're a weird team because they'll they'll like go through a stretch of wins and they'll they'll then they've also taken some bad L's this year too, you know. But record wise, they're you know kind of in the same vicinity as the Hawks. But I, I I still feel like that game was like just just consistently run get five guys back on defense and you win the game. And they Correct. just wouldn't. They just wouldn't do it. Five? How about one? How many one on zero <laughs> fast breaks were there? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Some of those, like I don't know, I maybe I'm a little, I, maybe I agree too too soft sometimes, but you know, like a tip out, a weird turnover, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but in terms of the emphasis for the whole 48 minutes is Indiana is pretty terrible in half court offense, and they lead the league in a, on you know on a per game basis fast break points. And uh, I think when I, I don't know if it was the first time out or I, it was some time out occurred, I looked down and they had 10 fast break points at eight points in the half court and i was like this was not even the end of the first quarter i don't think uh because they scored more than 18 in the first quarter and i was like okay this is not the ratio you want <laughs> if you're right. trying to win this game against them you know and but I, it, I, it was it was so frustrating to watch i was like you know it's like it felt like everybody watching knew that was the thing that was the number one thing that was the most important thing and it was just hard to get my head around, like, why they couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, like, we're we're talking about the same thing, but it's almost like two different problems. Like, they, you, like you said, you need to get five back, but it was also just the basic situation of, like, if you've got a guard shooting a long jump shot on one side of the floor, the guard who's on the other side of the floor needs to get back like just just get the one back and that's that's a start to slow things down for the rest of the five to get back and I thought right. you know it was bad for the Hawks I thought it was horrific for Bogdan Bogdanovich like this is you're you're an experienced smart basketball player like you can't take baby steps on those first three steps after you turn your back and start to go like You've got to do it earlier and you've got to do it with conviction. And it's like, he didn't do it and and he wasn't alone, but like, my goodness, it was breathtaking. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, and when they would kind of do it for stretches, they would, that's when they would start, you know, getting it down in single digits, you know, getting it to a manageable, you know, you know, uh, differential score differential and things like that. And then they was like, okay, you know, and second coming out like a beginning of the second half, kind of like is often the case with basketball teams. Like, okay, you know, points of emphasis during halftime coming out, kind of get some things fixed, you know, raise our sense of urgency in the areas that 
we need to do that. And, and you're like, okay, I think maybe they're going to try to, and then like two minutes later, you're like, no, it looks exactly the same. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's just funny. It's like, I, it was so frustrating that it's not even 48 hours. Well, I guess it's about 48 hours later now, a little more than 48 hours later now, but I don't really have any recollection of how well or poorly they played on offense because I was so frustrated with the transition defense. And it wasn't just the transition defense. Like, it was just, I thought it was just guard defense in general. Like, I don't think the guard yeah. defense in the half Good court team, was any any better. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to, you know, remind me if I don't ask you. And we have a question from a, a, a listener too. So, you know, we got a couple of things to come back to, but like, yeah. I'm intrigued by the, what it looks like when John Collins and Onyeko Kong were out there together, like it looks pretty good. Like they're, they're getting into a good rhythm, but they could not stay out of foul trouble against Indiana. And it's, it was hard to blame them for it. Like they were just constantly in rotation, constantly needing to help. I mean, Aaron holiday, you know, gave them something in this Brooklyn game by just being somebody who could kind of sort of stay in front of somebody. And, and that somebody was Kyrie Irving. It's like, but this is refreshing to see somebody able to do this at least a little bit. Like they started Trey, they started DeJounte, they started Bogey together. And, you know, we're, we're talking about three guards who, you know, aren't necessarily the stoutest defenders. And it was like subpowered by each of their standards too. Like they were just letting people buy them. And, and, you know, that, that wasn't good enough. Like I, I thought Collins and Okongwu were, were doing a whole lot trying to contest shots, trying to change shots, but they were getting in foul trouble. And it's, you know, it's just the volume of chances that they have to, like, it just has to be a fewer number of times in a game that they have to do that. Uh, if you make them do that on every single play, that yeah, there's going to be some foul trouble. For sure. Like when a ball handler coming almost irrespective of who the ball handler is, as long as it's like just even an average, you know, ordinary ball handler coming full speed at your at a big man, like the big man has no shot, basically, you know. Well, there isn't. Oh, sorry. You know, no, it's like, how do you get into position when the guy's you know coming with full full force and you know full head of steam at you? It's it's next to impossible to prepare to kind of be impactful and somehow avoid a foul in that situation. So it was. It was rough. Like, I'm glad you called that out because, you know, for me, it was hard. Like, all the ball containment issues, which, and I said on Twitter last night, like, I thought it was the worst ball containment defense I'd seen this season from the Hawks. And yep. I, I didn't I didn't put much thought into it. I mean, it may have been worse than any point last season. You know, I don't know. But I, I was just, you know, keeping it to that statement. Um, and And I think a lot of that was not getting back and getting set, you know. Uh, even when you got say three back or you know three and a half back or, or whatever it was that you were still kind of not getting back suf- with sufficient time to get organized get matched up the way that you want and it's just a scramble and that put to your point JC and Anyeka in a terrible spot consistently and you know if they give those two you know good defenders a chance you know I, I feel like they give themselves you know, a really good chance to win that game Maybe maybe this is unfair because it's maybe not what he does best, but it's sort of timely. Uh, we're both in the Peachtree Hoop Slack together, and uh, shout out to Zach Hood because this uh, piece of information seems kind of timely. And that he shared a tweet from Kevin O'Connor. It says the scoring efficiency for the 50 most frequent drivers to the basket per second spectrum 
And it's, you know, it's the top five out of the 50, the bottom five out of the 50. And number 50 is TJ McConnell. And TJ McConnell was like hosting a carnival against the, the Hawks defense, <laughs> right? Like yeah. if he's the the 50th out of 50 most efficient score and scoring isn't necessarily the thing that he does best. He's probably right. better as a facilitator, but still like he just got to do whatever he wanted. Yeah, I think on one drive he was dribbling with his left hand and juggling like five balls with his right hand, <laughs> something like that. It was that comfortable. Yeah, and and you know I focused on the three starters when I talked about ball containment, but it also seemed like uh, the same for AJ Griffin. Like he's, you know, he's a rookie. He's nineteen. Every rookie is going to have a stretch of the season where things don't go well for them. AJ's. You know, I don't think he's shooting particularly well the last two, three weeks, but no, but that was, you know, that was an issue for him too. Like it was, it was refreshing to see Holiday do it some tonight. Uh, but, you know, they just had so little of it against the Pacers. It was, it was, I thought it was jaw dropping uh, that, that yeah. it was as bad as it was. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you talk yourself into like, oh, they're on the second night of it back to back. That didn't, that wasn't, visibly apparent at all they were in you know high gear the whole game like they knew you know that uh this is this is our path to winning this game and you know like i said there were there were maybe two or three like stretches of like two or three possessions that were kind of looked like the hawks were gonna you know try to do it and then it just didn't last any longer than that you know so i mean I mean, I I can't overemphasize like I, before the game. I was I was trying, you know, I, I hadn't watched a ton of the Pacers this year because uh, I tend to watch teams, bef- you know, before when they're on the schedule for the Hawks in the next week or two. The most I have, you know, my pet five teams or so that you know everybody kind of has their teams that they enjoy watching and kind of go out of their way. But I was I was like just refresh my memory. I was going through the NBA stats on the different play types and like their bigs finishing a pick and roll is they're like in the fifth percentile like the worst um you know if you look at like what their ball handlers do in the pick and roll they're like below average and you know if you look at you know off screens below and if you just kind of go through that you're like okay this team is one of the worst teams in half court you know so they really rely on their fast breaks and they play like they know that, like, oh man, if the other defense gets back and gets set, we were not going to score. <laughs> it's looks like you just got to see that they have that awareness about themselves, so they just push it like all the time. And you know, and that's you know, Halliburton is a good hit ahead passer. He's a smart guy, great court vision, and so that yeah, I think he kind of helps them get started. And their bigs all run hard, you know. Uh, Buddy loves to shoot and transition and secondary transition. Um, you know, and so you can just kind of see how, even though it's it's not a what they have now is not a roster that you want to use as a basis to kind of build up over a three or four year plan. They got some good pieces, some interesting pieces, you know, right. some decisions to make, but they they don't have like the talent to kind of execute to a competent level in the half court. It's like just get back, you know. I felt like I was talking to like a middle school team I coached 10 years ago or, or you know, with, with all brand new first year players, the first time playing basketball, it's like that's frustrating. Like, yeah, I, I, I yell, I mean, for me, like with young teams, the, the, the thing, I, the verbal coaching I do the most is 
stop the ball, stop the ball, stop the ball. So remember, remind them, turn around, stop the ball, just, just stop it. Whoever needs to stop it, just get it, just get the forward progress stopped. Then we can get set. And I felt like the whole game, I was just begging with them to <laughs> stop the ball. Basic middle school, like fifth, sixth grade stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah, the other thing that's, I don't know, irritating because it's actually a good thing is like, if taking care of the ball, like that's that's the yep. one thing you want to do. Like, okay, uh, you know, you don't want the Pacers to get out in transition. So, okay, take care of the ball. Well, I hate turnovers as a stat too because like there's the sum of the individual turnovers, but then there are team turnovers too. So right. maybe there's some extra ones in there. I think it was nine, you know, nine individual turnovers against Indiana and three against Brooklyn. Like that's that's great. That's great taking care of the ball. Um, you know, you get some defensive basics latched onto that and you're in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, even before the game against the Pacers, I was like, Trey can't be going to the ground on the baseline to try to get a call. Biggs can't miss shots at the rim. You know, I mean, I I still feel like I I, I'm not, I don't know. I can't imagine someone actually has this stat. But if you look at live ball turnovers versus like point blank range shot attempts at the rim and you miss, I feel like there's a much, much more um, productivity and efficiency pushing after a, a missed shot right at the rim than there is a live ball turnover. Sure. So it's just, I have no, that's just my hunch that that's, that, that that's how it is. It's so hard to get back when you got your big, typically, you know, at 94 feet away from the other basket. It's like you just have not much of a shot. and Or if it's a guard that's going to, you know, end up on the floor or or whatever, you know, then you just you have no shot. That 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 was the most frustrating game to watch for me this whole season. Yeah, one of the things I like about, you know, Trey's floater is it's not necessarily the greatest math shot in terms of point per shot, but like, you know, it strings out the defense. You know, there's always the option for the lob and they've got good lob finishers. Um, but you just like to see Trey in the middle of the floor because he's just in a better spot. You know, when he's, yep. when he's driving to the rim from the side and he's kind of probing for fouls, you know, he's going to take that contact and he's going to it's going to ride him out of bounds. And if he doesn't get the call, he's dead. It's over. Like he's, he's not going to be able to get back. Like even if he puts in like this, terrific effort it's going to be difficult and most of the time it's not going to be even that like it's that you just like him being in the middle of the floor because it's it's not quite the train wreck on transition defense that it would be otherwise yeah and it's harder this year because last year like Gallo would always use sure three of his six fouls on take fouls to stop the play <laughs> so trade and get up off the baseline but that's not allowed this year you know no. so it's even you know it's even harder um so it's you know and it's funny, like you know, spinning forward to, to tonight, their transition transition defense was pretty pretty good tonight versus Brooklyn. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I think I looked at what I don't think Brooklyn had more than like three, you know, two or four points in on fast breaks or like a really low number. Um, yep. You know, um, and it's like why can't you? Do that? And I know they don't really push it the same way. You know, um, I mean Indiana, that's like. You know their their first. Um, they, it reminds me like years ago. I took my daughter to 
see uh, women's basketball, University of Florida versus University versus Vanderbilt University. And it was interesting to watch the two styles because Vanderbilt ran like a serious like offense, you know, kind of like you, I guess, Vanderbilt, like a smart stuff, you know, <laughs> to be a little cliche about it. And on the other side, Florida, like as soon as they got the ball, whoever got it dribbled all the way down the court, straight to the front of the rim and everyone else sprinted straight, you know, kind of filled in the lanes and basically they were going to put a shot up right at the rim. They didn't, they didn't have a half court offense. So let's just push, push, you know, and watching that Pacers game, I felt like I was kind of transported back to watching that, you know, whatever year that was, is probably, I don't know, 2006 or so, you know, a long time ago that, that I took my daughter to see the game. And it was like, I felt like I was watching that, that University of Florida women's team that just pushed max speed every single time. The funny thing about that game is that Vanderbilt was behind like 15 points the whole game and Florida was playing like seven young ladies, short rotation. And you can just tell like Vanderbilt's like, they're going to run the gas, you know, and they did. And Vanderbilt ran their offense one uh, dominated like the last five minutes, but uh, you know, NBA is a, a different thing, obviously, but it, it was just kind of, it's strange to sit and watch like one area of the game dictate how basically the entire game is going, you know, it's just, it's wild. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question here. I, I want you to give me a number. Uh, the number that I'm looking for is if you're an NBA head coach, what's the bare minimum that you need to see on the clock to let your team play through without a timeout? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the minimum is eight, but it, it also matters, like, is it a long rebound? You know, it, does somebody catch the rebound already heading up the court, already facing, right. you know, you know, so, I mean, there's there's some situational stuff that kind of comes down there. I mean, so for me, a minimum of eight, unless you just have someone like LeBron who can, you know, change into the court three and a half seconds to get all the way to the rim and know he, he just knows he can do it, you know. Um, apart from that, I, I think eight is about, about the number I would take. Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> And that's I mean, that's cutting it close. That's like the the least, you know. Ideally, I'm thinking more eleven, twelve is an ideal number, you know. But if I don't have eight, I think especially if I have two timeouts, you know, and if I'm in the bonus, you know. So, yeah, I just it, that was that was a head scratcher, and it it's like I don't know. It's like, I think if things were better, if the overall aura of the entire organization was in a better place right now. <laughs> Good point. Nate could admit it. Like his post game, he, he, he gave the justification and it's the, you know, it's well, the I, classic I mean, justification. Yeah, say? I mean, it's, it's the thing that any coach says, if he, if he, you know, gives a play on, you want to get the defense before they get set. You want to see if you can get something in transition uh, you know, you want to see what's there. You know, you don't want to allow a substitution. I don't think he specifically brought that up tonight, but like, I don't think you can use it in this case. Like, it, it I, it's not the only thing that happened tonight. I thought Nate did a ton of great things tonight. They looked ready. They did a lot of great things schematically. I thought Agreed. the rotation was right, but like, just just come in. You know, a mea culpa there 
I think, you know, get you a little bit more with the team. Like, yeah, it's, it reminds me of the the opposite of like that Miami game where Lloyd didn't take the time out after Trey was taken out for a defensive position and came down and played a critical. And, and the first thing he said post game was, I should have taken a timeout and put Trey back in. Right. No one even had to ask the question. Yeah. And I wonder. I have to say, most games are a blur. That one actually stands out. And, <laughs> and I remember that and thinking, you know, it feels like maybe he was coached up and was, was ready with that. Like, you know, you that's okay. Gotta, exactly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe, you know, Nate could have been coached up tonight, but maybe there's not coaching, you know, when the or is bad. I don't know. It just, I just, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like we we could talk about the things that that Nate did well, but you know uh, the the la- the last bite that you eat is the one that sticks in your mouth longest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I thought like I thought the best move was in the fourth quarter. I mean, they were the Nets were about to get permanent separation, and he was trying to get Dejounte a breather, and like Trent, you know, bless his heart, <laughs> some others will say. Trent Forrest was trying to get them into what they were running, and he couldn't do it one time. I mean, ben Simmons was on him, mm-hmm. and Trent Forrest is not an experienced NBA point guard getting his team into sets, you know. Right. But they were just trying to, do, you know, figure out a way to manage three or four minutes or whatever it was going to be. And and they called timeout, put Dejounte right back in. You know, it's like okay, we're gonna we're gonna have no chance to win this game if I don't stop this game right now. So that that was great. You know, I thought Ryan Jalen when he was playing well. You know was great um the, the only you thing know what that I, you know what goes hand in hand with riding jalen hunting frank's minutes into the sun good decision yeah absolutely I mean, he, he's a bad matchup for the net specifically and so that doesn't mean that this is a permanent thing and something that necessarily has to happen but i i think if he had played frank tonight like he did against indiana and it didn't really go well against indiana like that would have been a bad decision he didn't do that like he figured out a way to get all of his big man minutes out of Onyeka, John, and and uh, Jalen. Yeah, and two two good games in a row from Jalen. You know, um, and you know AJ was not effective, and you know he pulled. He, he doesn't usually need much encouragement if he need to pull a rookie, but you know, but it was still I think the right move. The one the one thing that I thought bothered me in the first half was, and I don't know why this was. Um, I, after I, I'll do another rewatch in the morning um, before my work day, and maybe have an observation here. But in the first quarter specifically when they were doubling KD and from where they were doubling KD was all over the place and it resulted in like Claxton getting easy shots right at the rim right um but you know but they fixed that yeah I was gonna say it got better over the course of the game so like another thing that they got right right um and 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 that could just been like young lineups you know young guys out there guys that the lineups haven't played together much you know who's organizing who's communicating you know, I think I still think Hawks fans this year don't understand like how much Hunter has organized them this year. We know Clint does it, JC does it a lot, but Hunter has been, you know, sometimes when Anyaka has his hands full with his individual defensive assignment, Hunter will step in and be really vocal defensively, which is new. You know, this not that yes. he's never done it, but like you know, and yep. which is encouraging to see. You know, but the, but they did like the things that were wrong. They fixed it in the fourth quarter. The fact that they got down what 11 or 12 or if I, I felt like that's what was about the as, as big as the lead got 
and fought all the way back. I mean, at the end of the game, like, yeah, I, I hate the no timeout, but I feel like if I'm speaking for Hawks fans, the main takeaway from the game is like, can we just get that level of effort every game? You know, right. and I'm always careful to say like the NBA schedule is a grind. No, no team brings max effort every game. It's, it's humanly sure. not possible <laughs> to do it, right? Right. But like, but there is still a, some type of consistency of effort that's a reasonable expectation, <laughs> you know. And it's like, you know, if if the focus on the areas of execution that mattered was as good against the Pacers as it was tonight. Like tonight, the, like, you know, even in the second half when Kyrie was doing Kyrie stuff, he had a hand in his face on every shot, you know. Right. Aaron was great tonight. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know that the consistency of effort isn't humanly possible, but, like, I thought Nate could have played Aaron a lot more last night. Like, that would have been a very reasonable decision for Nate, and he didn't do it. Like, I, I thought, you know, Nate was much better tonight I didn't like that he didn't play Aaron Moore last night. He needed somebody. It wasn't Trey. It wasn't DeJounte. It wasn't any other guard. Like his one shot, or maybe two shots, uh, Trent Forrest didn't really play except for some garbage minutes. So like, but he needed, he needed Aaron or Trent last night and he didn't go to it. You know what he might have to do to play Aaron a little more? Mm -hmm. It's a Trey. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying for the rest of the game, but like if it's not going well, sit to the bench a couple minutes early, you know, um, you know, yeah. it, it, it just it just seems like and I'm not you know me. I'm like, I'm not a Trey Basher at all. Trey is phenomenal. And the best path for this organization is to figure out how to take their best players right now and get them working, you know, uh, by way of a constructive plan, you know, and things like that. And and they've been better, you know, recently about moving the ball, running five out stuff, you know, getting more movement and things like that. So I've been I've been encouraged by that. But it just it just feels like at this point there's nothing Trey can do to have a little bit of playing time kind of taken away when and, and not as like to not be punitive. No, it's like, not punitive. Hey, like it's, last it's night, going, it's not going well. You know. Yeah, last night he he played what like thirty five minutes, and that was sitting the final four. So he was on pace for like forty minutes. And yeah, if he plays thirty seven in, instead of forty, is that a crisis? No, right. it's not. You're not skimming that much. Like thirty five instead of forty, that that's fine. Like he'll be he better plays, in the thirty five. Twenty nine, and you just have a different group that's doing the the main thing better you know that's giving you a chance you know it's not to me it's not in the world i you know i'm I'm not one to think like oh coaches should have a quick hook especially with your franchise guy you know i I get all i get all of that but it just feels like there's that's not a thing that that can happen right now you know so and i don't know i think that's not great uh do you want to address our question from a listener I do, but I, I thought there was one. Oh, um, I wanted to talk about the fourth quarter because, like, Dejounte got into some he, some might say hero ball individual, you know. Again, and it's a pattern, and it's an issue. I, I don't I don't know if you agree with me, or I don't want to act like I'm speaking for both of us, but I I just feel like th- this game is especially an example. It's not just trading Dejounte wanting to go one on one. It's when they're primarily to me when they're facing a switching defense 
they don't really have much in the way of sophisticated ways to attack it. Correct. All they really go to is to, to drag a big man out on a guard and attack the big man. And Nick Claxton's not the guy I want to put in that situation. <laughs> you know? No. And that's what the that's what that's what was happening in the fourth quarter. Right. So I I just I'm sharing that because I think a lot of fans are like Trey DeJounte just want just want to do this. It's like, no, that that's a tendency. It appears it, 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 it seems safe fair to say that's a tendency but right. i think the bigger issue is that that's really their only plan against right. the switching defense and, and, you can, and they, they they need more than that you can get some stuff out of that like when, when that happens like onyek is going to feast on the offensive glass against right. a brooklyn team that is very small apart from claxton like katie's big but uh, and Nick is a very good offensive rebounder. If there's a switch and the center ends up on DeJounte, then Onyek is going up against somebody much, much smaller. He had seven offensive rebounds in this game. Right. But, you know, that that's a good situation there. But, yeah, DeJounte, that's just not tactically what you, you want in that situation. He's uh, – Claxton is very, very good at, at very good. those situations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just – you know, I, I, I think sometimes fans are a little – a little bit oversimplifying things by saying their offense is basic, you know, and I've tried to share enough to show that like what this, their sets, their basic sets are pretty normal. Right. But I think one area where they are, you know, pretty basic and pretty simple is the, what the narrow set of ways they try to attack a switching defense. And I, I, I think if there's something for them to work on, especially because they see that a lot late in games, but that's right. something to work on. That. That seems more than fair. What was our question? I think it was directed <laughs> at me, and I and I I rallied yeah, that, it to you. Yeah, it was it was given to you, so I was I was going to let you be the recording secretary on this. Oh, I'm <laughs> grab my grab my phone here. Um, you might have to edit part of this because Twitter has not been great with uh, notifications tonight. Uh oh. You probably don't know that because you were doing your uh, other work. It, it based the I know the 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 and I want to go first to credit I'll find it but but just the question was like why are they you know two years ago basically very entertaining team to watch oh yeah and now was... they have regressed so much like they are not a fun team not an entertaining team to watch why is that that's that's the if I'm paraphrasing the question there you want to take a shot I mean. I mean, I think part of it is just that they're more defensive focused in theory. Uh, you you lose the spacing of of players like Gallinari and Herter, and it there's uh, there's a little bit less in the way of aesthetically beautiful offense and uh, up and down shootouts. Kind of like what we got in Brooklyn. Like the fourth quarter just felt like a punch to the jaw, a punch to the midsection. Like they were just trading these great clutch. Uh, individual baskets in the fourth quarter with Brooklyn there was like a three or four minute stretch where it's like wow this 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 is pretty dramatic like it's it's the you know in terms of making a product that people want to watch at home it was it was quite entertaining but uh you know the the spacing isn't quite as good this year uh it just it it gets a little bit more grinding and it's uh <laughs> I I can kind of see that 
it it isn't as much fun. Yeah, for me, I think the the biggest part is that um, they've built this team for defense, that offense. I think that's the biggest thing for this year, you know. Um, and, and if you know. the defense were better, then and it has and it was earlier in the year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you need the defense to be better for it to kind of get back to that level. You know, get get yourself some more transition opportunities, uh, and, and I think I think the pace would help a lot. I thought tonight they played with really good pace; like they were not walking the ball up the court, like make miss whatever they were. They were getting the ball, you know, over half court with twenty on the clock. Like they were they were going for it. Like that was something that I think we need to see more often. I think that kind of thing makes the product more entertaining. I think there's too much take the air out of the ball and just let the defense load up against you. I th- I think some pace would help, and I thought they did that pretty well tonight. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Um, I want to give credit to so, uh, Handles at Cop Dog 808. Serious question. How did the Hawks go from one of the most entertaining teams to watch to almost unwatchable so quickly? Roster moves. We talked about that. A roster built for defense that offense coaching. Um, you know, we thought I mean Hawks fans talk about Nate like all the time. You know, uh, I, for me, I, I think they have I th- I think they had a really talented assistant coaching staff a couple of years ago. Um that was seemed to me just from observation um, kind of had more complementary skills where this one really, this coaching staff is still kind of built for the defense, you know, and I think Longobardi has been a good addition this year. They've been more sophisticated on defense, but right. is, is that entertaining? You know, so roster moves, coaching injuries, all the above injuries have impacted, you know, things this, this year. And 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 in in the in this sense, for me, the Hawks are a team, maybe more so than any other in the league. I, you know, that seems sure that's not true. Like you know, when there's 30 teams, it's hard to say like, oh, this one's the. It applies to this team most. Yeah, I'm sure you know, but yeah, you know, they're got to be the you know towards the top where off good offense feeds good defense feeds good offense feeds good defense you know clint is the basis for your defense jc is an awesome partner for him cleaning up everything in the back you know but it kind of starts with making shots getting back and getting set and when you're playing kind of undersized at at times or under um you know below average mobility and speed with like bogey and you know it's you know one through three then getting Clint back, getting JC back is critical. And and I think that when things are going poorly, it's like they, they can't get this flow of offense to defense to offense to defense where one is kind of positively flowing into the other. Um, and I, I think this team is most entertaining when it's click, 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 click on both ends and, and everything is kind of flowing in that way. After the game tonight, it feels like it's been a while since we've seen that kind of dynamic to me. So if I had to like pin it to one thing, it, it, it's like they've got to get like good execution and effective play on both ends joined up. And that's when the really good stuff comes. And it's been a while. Um, you know, I feel like we got a bit of that earlier in the year, you know, when they were playing well and getting wins, defense carried the game, 
for a while, then the offense would kind of get on track and you would see, you know, five or six minutes of that click, 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 click in the both ends. But it, it's it's been a while. That's my thought. That seems fair. Uh, before I was made a note that I wanted to come back to, you know, what, what are your takeaways from seeing Collins and Okongwu more together with, with Clint Capella gone? You know, what has worked, what hasn't worked? Uh, what do you see there? Yeah, I, I think their speed, like, is is lethal. You know, their combined speed is lethal. Um, I think their ability to to have impact on the offensive glass is good. Um, I, I think they need a little chemistry to know when, like, oh, when one's attacking the offensive glass, the other one's got to be ready to get back. You know, it's a little hard to have both of them down within, say, eight feet of the basket, you know, trying to chase the same offensive rebound. But I, I, I think it can work. I, I mean, but to me, it's like it really needs Hunter. You know, I mean, I still think Hunter is a massive key this year, especially on defense. And a, a lot of what happened against Indiana was they didn't have a big guy to contain the ball. You know, they didn't have that size and that kind of competence out there. Um, and then tonight, you know, I thought, like, they did a great job, like, on KD overall. But, you know, Hunter probably just gives you more there. And so if it's Hunter, JC, Nick, I'm really excited about that and I want to see it. But I, I think it's less exciting when it's bogey you know, from a defensive potential standpoint. Yeah, I think one of the things that the Hawks have done really well this season is that uh, we haven't really gotten to see much of it. I think it's more of a recent thing, and they haven't really necessarily been playing well recently, but I think some of the things that they've done best recently have, have been the hunter at the four minutes which mm-hmm. just work better with Capella. And if you're going to do that, sure. then you kind of need this matchup on the flip side to get everybody their minutes. With with Collins and Okongwu together, you know, you can, you can squeeze enough minutes for Bogey and A.J. Griffin and DeAndre Hunter, all three as, as sort of as many as they can really handle. And DeAndre Hunter will pretty much do everything well as a power forward except for pass and rebound and Capella's a good enough rebounder to compensate for all the rebounding. So I think it just works well if if you can get a Kongwu and Collins playing well together. Yeah, I mean I agree that Hunter at four, those minutes need to be I um you know paired with Capella as much as possible. I like, you know, as I mentioned, I like what Collins and Okongwu could do together. I th- I think with more chemistry, like I said, I think that gets even um more interesting and more useful. Um, you know, the 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 thing that I, I still have kind of mixed feelings on Hunter at the four, um, because I just feel like the, this team, the way it's constructed, they need Hunter to be like their primary like perimeter slash on-ball defender. And I think it's just a little harder to do that when he's at the four. You know, now this year he's been a really good interior help defender. He's been, as I said earlier, he's been a good organizer. So he's done a lot of the kind of the, um, you know, less glamorous stuff defensively at the four. So that works. And it's not his fault. But I, like if this team had one more, like like a second unit, big defensive wing that you could play with Hunter when he's at the four, that just would work better to me. You know, and, and it doesn't have to be that big of a guy. Like, you know, even thinking like the last year, like, if you just had DeLon Wright that could play, you know, those lines, he's a pretty big guy. He knows how to use his size. 
he's not a you know he's not six seven six eight you know ideally you have someone you know more more like that um but they don't you know i mean like like Josh Okogie's playing for Phoenix, you know, some of this, you know, I, I think about, you know, guys like uh, that can play in the second unit. So I, I think if they had, you know, that kind of guy, like Justin Holiday, is just not big enough in some, in some matchups to do that for you. And I know a lot of Hawks fans don't want Justin Holiday playing anyway, you know, and I know that some people on this podcast don't enjoy all of his three point attempts, um, you know, so if they had one more big wing, I would be like so much more interested in pushing more DeAndre's minutes at the four. Uh, and I still think they have to try it. I do. And I think yeah. you're right. I think people who said like they won't, they need to try more of that. I, I, I get it. I don't want to see Jalen's minutes completely disappear. I think, I think it's, I think his development is too important for the future of the team, but I have no problem if he, he's not effective in the first half jettisoning him from the rotation of the second half, use Hunter sliding to the four, kind of go from there. And I think they have to, I think they have to see what they can get from that. I mean, I guess in the idealized version of the Hawks that it shouldn't be a consideration. Like Frank shouldn't play under any circumstance when you have enough players healthy, but it does seem like he's played an awful lot. Like to me, you know, if I've if I've got DeAndre at the four and I can get more minutes there, like bump Jalen to five, bump John to five, mm-hmm. take those Frank minutes out and just play Aaron Holiday a lot more. And I know he's not big, but I think he kind of can be your perimeter defender. I like I know he's small, but like that that's a much better holistic compromise. Uh, having him as your stopper perimeter defender than than trying to do anything where where you play Frank, I think those minutes are just not working in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I there may be a handful of matchups where it works, like um, like Charlotte, like had no rim protection, and Frank was like diming up cutters. Like, so if you can like run that delay five out slash delay slash elbow series stuff, where he's facilitating and guys are actually moving without the basketball and kind of cutting and, and that that's helping you generate very high percentage shots at the rim. And then on the other side, you have centers who don't really go to the rim, you know, yeah. uh, but that's what maybe three teams four, te- you know, yeah, right. it's, and you know, teams you should probably be beating anyways. But like the thing about right. Hunter, like, I, you know, if he's going to be your perimeter stopper, like I think you have to live with, bogey and aj guarding some power forwards too like like he he's a power forward on offense but he's not a power forward on defense and and they use some of your uh perimeter defenders aren't great as as your power forward defenders you know hunter oh sorry go ahead no no i was just saying yeah i i think i think the point you're driving home is it's it it can be it can be matchup based right right but also i think that the other thing is that it's one of those things that doesn't necessarily look great, but the I think the numbers are going to bear it out as well. Like you look at those lineups and just analyze it from just a holistic number standpoint. You know, what are you getting out of those lineups? Are they working? And, and I think you'll find that they are. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and and to make sure I'm being clear, I'm not saying, oh, they can't do that because Hunter's got to play at the three because, you know, what I'm saying is that, it would be much easier to do it if they had one more big defensive wing on the roster. Right. 
Sure. I, I do I do fully agree they need to find a way to get that lineup configuration going. Um ideally, you know, get favorable matchups, but I, 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 I agree that they've got to see how much juice they can generate from that and kind of and kind of go from there. Now if there's a, a trade <laughs> available that allow them to bring someone in that can give them, even if it's just 10 minutes a game at the three, taking on, you know, serious defensive assignment. Um, um, while Hunter plays at the four, it, easier to do, less downside. You know, you don't have to stretch an Aaron Holiday into guarding someone who's six six. You know, or maybe you know things like that. Um, but I, I'm with you. Like this team is still like what bottom twelve in offense, pretty consistently. And one way to juice that is to get Hunter at the four, and then if you can kind of stitch together lineups that function defensively then I think you've got to see what you got with that. And, and, you know, that's another thing that Nate's done that I agree with. So, I mean, he's, I think he's making concerted effort. I think he realizes that he's not getting enough. Maybe you and I are going to disagree on this because I think you want to see uh, more Jalen, more playing through Jalen, but the offense gets rough when he's out there. Like it's, it's tricky to make it work. Like it works in transition on offense and, and, you know, it works obviously best with the ball in his hands. Like he could do some things there. But I think, again, if you just look at the overall numbers of what do you get on offense when Jalen's out there at the four, what do you get on offense when, when DeAndre's out out there at the four, like it's going to be a really, really stark difference. Yeah. I I think it matters what you run in, in, you know, you put him in the corner, spot up shooter right now is not really going to give you what you need there. You know, you put him on the wing, uh, a post-century passer like we saw him try to do tonight and his guy just like dropped back on the GT who didn't let that post-century pass happen. And so when you have him kind of in that role, when you have him in the middle kind of creating, whether it's X action or elbow right. series or delay or whatever kind of five out has him in the middle, then I think you have something there. I think the I think a fair question is, well, if Trey or DeJounte you're on or, or Trey plus bogey or DeJounte plus bogey is on, do you want to steer your possessions to where Jalen is creating often, you know, and I think that's, I think that's something that you have to be really thoughtful and, and deliberate about, like, is this the right thing to do? Um, but but I, I think to kind of make it work, I think you've got to put him in the position to kind of do the things that um, he does best. And that's not spotting up in the weak side corner. And that's, you know, that's not, you know, standing on the weak side at the three point break, trying to act like he has some gravity, <laughs> which he doesn't right now, you know, and so, but it, it takes a commitment. Like it's, it's not just like Nate and the coaching staff saying, "Okay, we're going to do more of this when Jalen's on." It's like Trey and Dejounte say, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to do more of that when Jalen's on. We're going to let him do these things he's good at. We're going to buy in, and we're going to do the things. We're going to set some screens off while we're going to cut. We're going to set up in the corner and provide spacing or, or whatever." It, I mean, it's kind of how basketball works. This a thing I love about basketball is that when you see teams like. Oh, we have this young guy. He needs to do X and Y and Z. This, this is how he's going to make an impact for us. So, as his teammates, we're going to buy in and we're going to support him and give him that opportunity. Um, I'd love to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think you have to kind of see how it goes, see how he's doing it. I don't think you want to necessarily give him a ton of volume like that against you know a top five defense. You know, when they have their starters in the court, so you have to be intentional and planful about it. But I, I think there's a way to kind of give him more usage and the kind of usage that that suits him and, and let it come from there you know that's 
that's for me. And I'm, I'm and I know I've said this before, but I'm still curious about playing him with Hunter and letting Hunter be the four on offense, the three on defense, and and, and reversing those roles on the other right. end. And yeah. you know, you know, having some configurability there is interesting to me. And I think Jalen helps with Hunter's rebounding downside. You know, so I, I think there's some stuff there that you could kind of figure out what what could work. But I I mean I agree. Like if all you're gonna do is put him in the weak side corner. Or, or have him kind of shaking on the weak side, lifting from the corner up to the three-point break or whatever. I mean, you might, I, you're might you not going to love this comment, but you might as well have Justin out there, you know? No, that's so, true. I agree. But, yeah, right. I mean, Jalen was, was good in both of these games. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's so, yeah. he's trying, but it's it's tough when you can't shoot. I know. It's, it's funny. I, I, in the Pacers game, like, it's it's strange. Like I don't I don't I'm almost careful to I almost want to not say this, but I just want to share my observation. Like it just it seemed like he and Trey don't have the best chemistry. And in the Pacers game, it was like in the first half, I was like, wow, you know, Jalen comes on when Trey goes. I like just you know, it's like is there is there some sort of um X's and O's thing or you know what is that you know about is something to kind of keep an eye on. But in the second half with the foul trouble, they had to play together and it went it went fine. <laughs> um, offensively you know Jalen got to do his thing you know kind of push the ball and be aggressive and, and things like that the the whole team effort defense wasn't good enough but um and then Jalen was great tonight obviously you know Trey didn't play so I if there's something that's an obstacle there I'd let I, I my hope is they'll address that and and because you know, they they need guys you know in the flow of a game you never know which way the rotation is going to go you know so Hopefully we'll see some more Trey plus Jalen, and hopefully it'll be uh, conducive to success. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was good therapy. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bills in the mail. <laughs> hey, wait. Wait, I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. No, no, no. I, I don't know me? if you know this, but my I don't know if oh. I've ever told you this, but my my educational background is in psychology. So, all right then. Yes, yeah. I still don't want to be built. I'm I'm not I'm not worthy of, of being paid to do any of this stuff. So, okay. just I, I try to be a good listener, and that's that's about what I got. <laughs> okay, very good. I appreciate that. Have a good night. Thanks, Kevin. You too.